0: Take your Bibles out and turn with me today, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, looking this morning at chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, an invitation to live a kingdom-focused life. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you underscore that verse? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lord, again, this hour we pray that you would direct our thoughts upward to your kingdom, to your agenda for our lives. Forgive us that we are so easily distracted by the things of this world. Lord, I dare say I'm speaking to some even now that if they were to look back over the last 10, 15, 20 years of their lives, perhaps they would have to confess that there have been many wasted years. Lord, I pray that you'd bring challenge and conviction, that you would redirect our thoughts and our passions and our energies, that we would be about what you're about in this world. Lord, help us to rise to the occasion of this invitation to a kingdom-focused life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, Jesus is inviting each of his disciples to live a kingdom-focused life. Folks, may I suggest to you this morning that perhaps never more than now do we need to hear these words in a fresh way. You say, well, why would you say that? Perhaps you heard about or read the article recently on the front pages of both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. It has two economists a husband and wife team who studied the issue and also their study, in their study they were joined by a sociologist and as the three of them looked at the results of this study they were absolutely stunned and shocked by what they learned. Now one of the economists was Angus Deaton, the recent Nobel Prize recipient in economics out of Princeton University. The article says volumes about the vanity and the emptiness of life. If ever we needed to hear Jesus' words in these verses, I think it's now. According to the article in question, for the first time in recent history, the death rate among the middle class in America is rising and life expectancy is falling. This is happening in the middle class, in particular the white middle class, ages 45 to 54. Now, is it because of diseases? No, actually we're making great strides when it comes to diseases. Whether it's in cancer research or, or in cardiology, tremendous strides are being made in the area of medicine. But the decline in life expectancy is rather due to human behavior. Death rates are increasing and the life expectancy is going down because of things like alcohol abuse, heroin use and overdose, prescription pill increases especially related to painkillers, and suicide. 90% 90% of all new cases of heroin use take place among the white middle class. 90%. Now, mind you, this is not happening in any other advanced country, but it's happening right here in America. It was stunning to see the chart or the graph within the, the article of death rates in other advanced countries falling significantly downward while America's death rate was climbing upward. And the other chart that showed life expectancy in other advanced countries climbing sharply while again America's was dropping dramatically. As the article pointed out, people are destroying their own lives through careless behavior. Some of that behavior being to try to numb the senses and escape from everyday reality. Suicide rates alone are happening at a high enough rate among the white middle class to move the needle. They indicated that right now in America, we are missing 500,000 people ages 45 to 54 who would otherwise be among us very troubling article as i say they were shocked the study was big enough news that it made the front pages of both the new york times and the wall street journal uh, journal the sociologist said as he read the article he responded with one word he simply said wow he couldn't believe the results he went on to say this is a vivid indication that something is awry in these American households. Another economist out of Berkeley, California said he, as he read the study and the results of it, he couldn't help but be profoundly sad by what it reported. Now folks, what does an article like? that say about society I think to some degree at least we have to read between the lines it says at least in part I believe that we have entertained ourselves to death and it is not working we have filled our lives with all kinds of stuff and that stuff has not brought any degree of lasting satisfaction, and people keep piling in new stuff, thinking the next new thing that comes along is going to help, and it doesn't. We've sowed to the wind, as the Bible says, and we're reaping the whirlwind. We are living lives of quiet desperation. Too many people have bought into Satan's lie of living for this world and all that it has to offer, and they're coming up completely bankrupt. Now we see in these verses that Jesus is calling you and me to a better life. He's calling us to live life as God intended. He's calling us to a kingdom-focused life. And folks, as we live a kingdom-focused life, it's going to change everything else about us. It's going to make a difference in our relationships. It's going to make a difference in how we spend our time. It's going to have a difference in what we do with our money. It's going to shape everything about your life and my life. I want you to see what Jesus points out about this. The first thing I want you to notice with me is that he is inviting us to make a solid investment. A solid investment. Look again at verses 19 to 21. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." We have many choices in life, but the greatest choice is between the here and now and the eternal. Where are we going to invest? Are we going to invest in the present or are we going to invest in the future? Are we going to invest in the earthly or are we going to invest in the heavenly? It is a choice between immediate reward on this earth or reward in heaven. You know, we typically don't do very well at planning for eternity. You're going to run across people this week. I dare say the majority of people that you will interact with this week are not ready to meet their maker. And when you talk to them about spiritual things, many of them are not even interested perhaps in hearing what you have to say. Because as a general rule, man is just blind to these sorts of things. I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He said, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason... You be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. What if it were today? Would you be ready? When it comes to our soul, we tend to be unprepared. In Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. Now, folks, I want you to notice what Jesus is saying here. Most people on planet earth are not making the right kind of investment with their soul. Most are not. If we have misplaced priorities with our soul, which is our most precious possession, then what about everything else in our lives? If we're careless with our soul, I think we're going to be careless about everything else likewise. Jesus addresses here one of the biggest indicators of what we value. It's what we do with our money and possessions. How we deal with money and possessions can be a window into our soul that shows so much about the rest of our lives. Because, you see, it's something tangible. It's something that we can see. It's something that we can understand and we can measure. We know, somebody knows what they're doing with their money, with their possessions, with their time, with their energies. If they're honest with themselves, these are tangible things that they can measure and they can't lie about. And so Jesus is saying here that these things, whether we want to hear it or not, these are the things that are indicators of where we are in our walk with God. So open a person's checkbook if they would allow you to. Look at their bank statements over the past year, five years, ten years. It'd tell you a great deal about that person. Jesus cautions us here that we dare not treasure the temporary. Millions of Americans right now get indigestion every time they look at their stock report or their 401ks because of all the recent volatility in the market. But folks, if that's all that motivates you, I want you to see how sad that is. Materialism is an illness that infects the entire human family. It's not just the wealthy that it affects. It's everybody. Verse 19 literally says, according to Dr. D.A. Carson, stop treasuring up treasure upon the earth. In other words, Jesus is telling them to stop an activity that they're already guilty of. Now, folks, if they were already guilty of it back then with what little they had, what what would Jesus say to us today with all the plenty that we have? He says, stop treasuring up treasure on this earth. Now, let's define what he's saying and what he's not saying. Jesus did not condemn wealth. It's not a sin to have money. It's not even a sin to have lots and lots of money. The Bible says it is the love of money that is the root of evil. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament recognize the right to material possessions including money, land, animals, houses, clothing, and everything else that is honestly acquired. We see Bible characters who were faithful to God and who were very wealthy it would have been hard to have rivaled the wealth of somebody like Abraham in his day or Job. The Bible tells us that Job was one of the greatest men, one of the wealthiest men of the East at the time. And then there was Mary and Martha and Lazarus, a a family of siblings that that commentators believe was probably a very well-to-do family and Jesus stayed with that family on many occasions and they invested in his ministry and the ministry of his disciples. So Jesus isn't condemning that in and of itself. The Bible also talks about the need to work hard and save for the future. In the book of Proverbs, the ant is given as an illustration of working hard and saving up for the future. And those who don't do that are condemned as being lazy and worthless. And so again, Jesus is not condemning wealth or money in and of itself. What then is he telling us? He's telling us to guard against selfishly hoarding and allowing things to become the treasure of our lives. We have to have stuff to live, but stuff isn't to be our treasure. It's one thing to own possessions. It's quite another to allow our possessions to own us. It all goes back to the purpose of life. I love what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9. God's speaking and he says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. And... On the other hand, if temporary materialism is all life is about, then life isn't worth very much because read on in verse 19 to see what Jesus said is going to happen. He said, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. Now, folks, what is the point? The point Jesus is saying is that the things of this earth are temporary. They are fleeting. If you don't believe that, just go talk to some of the folks in South Carolina right now who have lost everything in the flooding. All around us in the created order, we see the demise of things. Now, what's the lesson in that? If we're spending all of our time investing in things that we can simply see and touch and feel, things of this earth, then we're spending our whole lives investing in things that aren't going to last and they're going to come crashing down one day. Your life and my life is going to be over. And everything we worked so hard to accumulate in our life, if we were not investing in heaven, guess what? We're going to lose it all and we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of how we've wasted our lives. I mentioned in a recent funeral about James 4, what James says in James 4 about life. He says, life is but a vapor that is all." It suddenly appears, he says, and then it vanishes away. In classical Greek, that phrase, it it, it suddenly appears and it vanishes away, was sometimes used uh, of a flock of geese that you hear them quacking and here they come. You hear them in the distance behind you, quack, quack, quack. And you look up and you see, and here they come and they're in that V formation. They're in a V formation for a reason. That first one is taking the wind away from the others and making flying easier. Uh, Those who study those things tell us if you could look at those geese as they were going along in their journey, you would see that they're constantly rotating that front guy because he's taking most of the wind resistance. And the other ones are going quack, 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 telling him to keep up the pace. But there they are in the distance, you hear them and you look up and all of a sudden there they are overhead and then they're gone. You see them going in the distance. And James says that's how life is. Life suddenly appears and then just as suddenly as it appears, it vanishes. It's gone. Folks, what's the 70 or 80 or 90 years of your life in relation to eternity? No wonder Moses prayed in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He didn't say teach us to number our decades or our years or even our months and weeks or days. I mean, uh, uh, months and weeks. But he said teach us to number our days, even our days. Every day you and I have, every day you're allowed to wake up to a new day that God has made. That is a gift from God. We need to number our days and ask that God would give us a heart of wisdom. Folks, you and I were created for eternity and there is nothing on this earth that can fill that God-shaped vacuum inside. Again, people are trying it unsuccessfully. They pull this into their life or that into their life. They live for that, and everything grows old. And they keep trying new things and come up bankrupt. You know, there is coming a day that is going to be absolutely disastrous for millions and millions and millions of people upon the face of the earth. Because their life's going to be over. And then they're going to stand before God. So Jesus points out that we don't need to treasure the the temporary, but then he goes on in verse 20 to say, Do treasure the eternal. Do treasure the eternal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is redirecting our passion. You see, man's going to have a passion. We're created in the image of God. We're going to have a purpose or a passion. It's the way we're put together. It's part of being made in the image of God. Scholars discuss and debate what all was involved in being created in the image of God. And I want you to see how it ties in with this. Some talk about our need for community and relationships because the members of the Trinity enjoy community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some talk about communication, and that's what's involved in being created in the image of God. Others talk about reason. God created us to be rational creatures rather than just operating out of instinct like much of the animal world. One of the things theologians talk about is our need for creativity because we serve a God who is... A creative God. Just look at the days of creation and all the beauty and variety that God built into creation. He's, he's a God of creativity and purpose. And so being made in the image of God means that you and I are intended to have purpose and creativity. Man's energies are going to be spent on something. So Jesus is urging his disciples to focus their energies on that which will never fade. He's saying make a wise investment. Invest your life in what God is doing. Invest your life in those things that will have an eternal reward. You know, when we're younger... We think we've got all the time in the world to give attention to this. We hear sermons like this, and, and I know what people think. They think, you know what, one of these days, yeah, 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 I'm going to get around to all that. One of these days, one of these days, one of these days. You know, I'm just busy with life right now. I'm busy with raising a family, and I'm busy with buying braces and college and this and that. and just be, I'll, I'll give attention to that one day, and you know what? The years click by years just click on by. Years wasted. Then we get older and another temptation arrives. Pastor and writer John Piper talks about retirees who spend 15, 20, 30 years of their lives wasting the last portion of their life on bingo, shuffleboard, golf, and antique shopping. Anything wrong with any of that? Can a disciple of Jesus enjoy those things in moderation? Absolutely. What he was addressing are those who retire in good health and suddenly drop off the map when it comes to kingdom purposes. You can't really blame seniors wanting to finally do some of the travel they've always wanted to do, but there's got to be balance. You understand what those younger are facing, but there's got to be balance. Whether whether we're young or middle-aged or old, whatever stage of life you're in, I think Jesus is telling us essentially, don't waste your life. Take a good look at your life. What are you living for? Who are you living for? What are you trading a day of your life for? And is it going to be worth it? What does God think about what I'm doing every day? What does God think about how I'm spending my time and my energies? What does God think about what I'm doing with with money and possessions and everything else he's allowed me to have? What am I doing with it that's investing in eternity? You want to know how you invest in eternity and lay up your treasures in heaven? First of all on that list would be what? The most important, do you know Christ? Have you been born again? Jesus said, what's it going to profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you have peace with God? Do you have that assurance in your heart that all of your sins have been washed away and you've been forgiven? That's first. Then in John 12, Jesus spoke about serving God. He said, God will honor those who serve Him. Proverbs 11 says, He that winneth souls is wise. Are you doing anything in your life to share your faith in Jesus with other people that they can come to know Him? That's laying up treasure in heaven. Are you loving people? Are you caring for people? Are you ministering to people? Are you serving in the church and praying for people and encouraging people and helping them in their walk with God? You know what I've noticed some of who, who the most miserable people in the church are? Those who come to church and say, you know what? Nobody spoke to me. Well, did you speak to anybody yourself? I was in the hospital and nobody came to see me. Did you go to see anybody else? There are people, and and folks, I'm grateful that, again, I'm grateful for the type of body of believers you are. We We don't face a lot of that stuff. But there are so many people that come to church, and it's all about them. What have you done for me lately? What's everybody done for me lately? And people come to church with that kind of attitude and inevitably they're going to leave with their feelings hurt because people are always going to disappoint you and me. But on the other hand, the happiest people I've noticed are those who come and they're thinking of others. What can I do to minister to others? What can I do to help others? What can I do to serve the Lord? And there's joy in their life. Jesus is saying, Be like that, invest your life in, in, in heavenly things. Treasure in heaven is going to be there for all of eternity. There's no thieves in heaven, there's no rust, there's no insects eating up anything, there's no fading beauty. Peter speaks of that in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says that we're going to inherit or obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that great? A hundred thousand years after you've been in heaven, it's going to be just as glorious as the day you first got there. Verse 21 gives the clincher. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you value in life, guess what? That's what you're going to be pursuing. It's a matter of the heart. You can look at what you invest in and that reveals what's in your heart. If somebody could study your life for a month, if your life somehow or another could be an open book, then they'd be able to tell what you treasure same with me but I think there's also a promise in the verse if we start treasuring the things of God more and investing in the things of God more we'll start loving the things of God more it works both ways we can look at our treasure and that tells us what we really value but we can start treasuring the things of God and find that our heart changes too There's a sense in which feelings follow actions. You wake up in the morning and you don't feel like praying. You pray, guess what? Then you want to pray more. You go out and talk to somebody about Christ, it excites you about talking to somebody else about Christ. And so I think it's a two-way street here. Your, Your heart shows where your values are, but there's a sense in which you can change your values and your heart by what you do. A solid investment. Second thing I want you to see this morning is a singular focus. Look at verse 22. A singular focus. Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Here Jesus is pointing out that things make an impact upon your mind. They have to do with your perceptions and your understanding of life. They affect the way you look at life. He makes an analogy using the human eye. Because, you see, the eye is like a window that lets light in. The amount of light that gets in is largely dependent upon the condition of the eye. One of my best friends in ministry, had severe cataracts when he was in his 30s. He didn't know it. He went to a doctor, and the doctor told him. He said, I just thought looking at a kind of a hazy, yellow, cloudy world, that's just the way things were. He said, I had the cataracts removed from my eyes. When I opened my eyes after surgery, I couldn't believe how bright and clear everything was in the world. The importance of a healthy eye. And Jesus is making a spiritual application. A healthy eye is a blessing. Here's a person with healthy eyes. Light's able to come in. They're able to walk about steadily and and see clearly. Well, the spiritual lesson is that we're to have eyes to see what really matters in life. We're to be discerning. We're to look at life not merely from the earthly perspective, but from God's perspective. This is the person who has his life in order. Listen what Paul said about that in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so somebody with a healthy eye can see the world and the things of the world for what they really are. And they won't get caught up in that and make that what their life is all about. Jesus points out here that an unhealthy eye is a curse. If, if you're literally blind, you walk about in darkness. You don't enjoy a sunrise. You don't enjoy a sunset. You can't see it. You can't see the beauty of spring. But Jesus says there's even a worse tragedy than physical blindness. If you have the wrong perspective on things, if this earth and the things of this earth are all you have, he's saying there's a blindness in your soul. I told you recently about a conversation somebody had on one occasion with Helen Keller. Helen Keller, remember, became a very dedicated Christian lady. And somebody asked her, Helen, Helen, are you sad by the fact that you can't see? She said, no, I'm not sad by that fact at all. She said, what truly saddens my heart are those who can physically see and yet they are still blind. That's the real tragedy. And Jesus points out here that what is worse is the blindness of somebody's spiritual condition affects everything else about their life. Their whole value system is turned upside down. And so Jesus is inviting you, he's inviting me to have a singular focus. A healthy eye, a spiritual eye that sees the world and the things around you Through how God would see him. Third thing I want you to see. He invites us to have a solitary master. Verse 24. Jesus said no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You think you can serve the riches of the world. You think you can treasure up treasure on this earth and treasure in heaven at the same time. But guess what, folks? Jesus says you can't do it. It's not a question of advisability. Jesus didn't say you shouldn't try to serve God in money. It's not even a question of accountability. Jesus did not say you must not serve God in money. Rather, it is a question of impossibility. Jesus said you can't do it. You can't serve God and mammon. great pastor of a previous generation, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, tells the story of a farmer who reported, reported happily to his wife that their best cow had just given birth to twin He said, you know, I've been led of the Lord to dedicate one of the calves to God. We'll raise them together. And then when the time comes to sell them, we'll keep the money from one calf and we'll give the money from the other to the Lord. His wife asked which one he was going to dedicate to the Lord, but he answered that there was no need to decide that now since he was going to treat both of them just alike. Several months later, he came into the kitchen looking very sad. When his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered, I have some bad news. The Lord's calf has died. But you'd not decided which was to be the Lord's calf, she objected. Oh, yes, he said, I'd always determined it was going to be the white one, and it's the white one that's died. Isn't it kind of strange and funny? It's always the Lord's calf that dies. Years ago, Larry Burkett, he's been dead now over 12 years. He said, and I quote, Christians are trying to serve God and mammon. Christians pay more in interest than they give to the church. In a typical congregation of 100 families, 37 families give absolutely nothing to their church or to the Lord's work. Burkett said, Christ said the greatest threat to Christianity is not drugs, sex, murder, rape, or even politicians. He said the greatest threat to today's church is materialism. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. As you do so, I want to invite you to examine your heart. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Now, folks, we know the answer that we say. But I'm not asking you for the answer that you and I say. I'm inviting you to look at your life and let your life reveal what it is saying. What is your life saying your treasure is? Your time, your energies, your relationships, everything about your life is preaching a sermon. My life is preaching a sermon that one day I'll have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of. It's not just what I say with my lips. What's the sermon that my life is preaching? What's your life saying about your treasure? I spoke a moment ago about the first step somebody needs to take to lay up treasure in heaven is make sure you're going there. Make sure you're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Is there somebody here this morning that needs to say, God, I'm not converted. I've never been changed. I've never been born again. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart and convert my soul? Would you wash away all of my sins? Would you write my name in your book of life and sit upon the throne of my heart? Lord Jesus, would you do that? Is that what your prayer needs to be? That's the first step. Dozens of others who've made that step. Maybe you need to say, Lord, forgive me. I've not been serving you. I've not been investing my life a weekly basis in in your agenda. I've not been living for you. Open my eyes and ears to see all around me what you would have me to do. And Lord, may my life be about your agenda. Has your eye been bad? Have you pursued the wrong things? You have misplaced affections? Maybe you need to say this morning, God forgive me of that. Change my perspective. Change the way I look at the world and the things of the world. Lord, I think of the great missionary, Jim Elliot, who gave his life in missions. Even as a young man, Jim Elliot, said that line that's become famous now. He's no fool to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. May each of us this morning think of that statement. And may it be applied to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.